talking about preaching about the altar and burnt offering and the court of the tabernacle and the lampstand. And all these things play into God's scheme. I shouldn't use the word scheme. God's plan to dwell among his people. He gave these instructions upon Mount Sinai to Moses, his servant. And several chapters here in, in the book of Exodus that deal with the building of the tabernacle and the upkeep of it and all those kind of things. Uh, let me uh, give you kind of an outline of chapter 27 tonight. Uh, verses 1 through 8, we'll be talking about the altar of burnt offering. And this symbolizes the need for atonement, for reconciliation with God. In verses 9 through 19, we'll talk about the courtyard of the tabernacle. And this symbolizes that God can be approached. God gave a man, gave man a way to approach him. And then the remaining verses 20 through 21 is about the lampstand or the candlestick of the tabernacle and it symbolizes the way into God's presence is always open. So let's just uh, begin here tonight and begin sharing about this. And I hope we can reserve some time to where we can kind of gather in prayer for those on our prayer sheet tonight and, and other things. This is one of the things that I've been hearing. Uh, I heard it when we were meeting with the deacons and talking about uh, return to God. I'm hearing it in the class that I'm leading now. That one of our major things is prayer. We need to, to pray more, maybe pray differently than what we've been praying. So uh, when we get down to the end here, I'd like for you to kind of get close to people that's around you there and have little prayer groups and, and then we'll go home. All right, let's look at the altar of burnt offering, verses 1 through 8. Thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood or acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. Thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes and his shovels and his basins and his flesh hooks and his fire pans, all the vessels thereof thou shalt make of brass. Thou shalt make for it a grate of network of brass, and upon the net shalt thou make four brazen rings in the four corners thereof, and thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath, that the net may be even to the midst of the altar. Thou shalt make staves for the altars, staves of acacia wood, and overlay them with brass. The staves shall be put into the rings, and the staves shall be upon the two sides of the altars to bear it. Hollow with boards shalt thou make it, as it was showed unto thee in the mount, so shall they make it. Now let's break this down a little bit. And I know it gets kind of redundant going over these things time and time again, 
But God put them in the Bible that way for some reason. Sometimes we have to hear things more than once to get the idea. But the altar for the burnt offering. This is a piece that is in that outer court. We've talked about the sides and all those kind of things. When you come into that main court, that altar would be the first thing that you would see. And if you noticed, it's an altar that is made of brass, bronze. This symbolizes judgment. That before we can come before God, our sins must be judged. They must be paid for. And this is what this is symbolizing. Is they would bring their offerings to God. They would bring an animal and sacrifice it to God there upon the altar. This altar, it was made of the acacia wood. It was seven and a half feet wide, seven and a half feet long, four and a half feet high. This is bigger than the, the altar that is in the holy place. Taller, because it's for a different reason. There, it was to have horns on it at each, each corner. The Bible speaks much about horns. It's, uh, it's often spoken of as, as a symbol of power and authority. I remember talking with a man who knew Jewish culture really well. And I know that uh, in, in the Psalms and other passages of Scripture where men would go and get a hold of the horns of the altar. And I had the idea that it was something that men held on to, you know, to try to uh, maybe escape God's wrath on them or something of that sort. But this man, he said, those horns are on that altar for a reason. It's not so spelled out in, in this passage of Scripture here. But he said those horns were what the animal was tied to. That... When that animal was brought in there to be sacrificed, that the person who owned that animal would lay it up on that altar. And they would take one front leg and tie it to one horn, the other front leg over here to the other horn, two back legs over to the other two horns. Of course, his belly was exposed. And if it was a lamb, and the man was going to sacrifice it to God. He would stand there and he would say, this is the lamb of Isaac or Jacob or who, whatever his name was. And then he would cut his throat and it would die. The blood that drained out of it was taken and sprinkled around the altar. And I got to thinking about that. These horns is a, a very real symbol of the cross of Christ. 
And he hung between the heavens and the earth. Instead of laying on his back, he was upright. But he was stretched out like this, both hands nailed to the cross. And yes, both feet were nailed to the cross. They, they wasn't spread eagle. But yet you could see the symbolism in this. And this tells us that the only way to God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how we must approach him. And he talks about these horns. Uh, he says that they would make pans to receive the ashes. So when you burn an animal, and they, they burn the animals on the altar, at least portions of them. There would be fat that would drip down. You, you cooked on a grill, you know what it looks like down in the grill after a while. Keep it clean. Drip down in there and settle in those ashes of the fire. There was wood burning down in that, that altar. And they had to clean it out occasionally. They had to have those ash buckets and shovels and those kind of things to carry the ashes out. And those ashes were considered holy. And they had to be carried out to a holy place and emptied out. All this is about coming into the presence of God. We can't just come into God's presence any way we want to. We have to come His way. We won't get there. And we can hear Jesus say, I am the way. He is the way. He's the only way us to get to God. He even finished that sentence by saying, no man can come to God except through me. I know people take offense at that today, but we can't change the word of God. And God won't change his ways just to suit somebody else. And if man, one boy or girl is going to come to God, they must come through Jesus Christ. These instruments, uh, there were bases and there were meat hooks. And those meat hooks, I'm sure, was used to reposition the meat on the altar there as it was burning. Maybe to turn it over so it would burn on the other side. What did they do with all this food? These animals that were cooked on that grill. That's right, that was their food. They were to eat it. It was holy to them. And they had to eat it in God's prescribed way, and I'm sure we'll get to that before we get through the book of Exodus. But uh, the vessels, uh, he said, thou should make of brass. There was a grate down under there, a grate of network of brass. And it had four bronze rings on each corner. What do you think that was for? And the grate was placed under the ledge there, halfway up in the altar. And then they they had those poles made out of acacia wood that were overlaid with bronze. The others were overlaid with gold, remember. But this has to do with judgment. 
inserted the poles into the rings on each side to carry that on. And remember, every time that they moved, every time they broke camp, this all had to be packed up, carried. I don't know how many men it took to carry all this stuff. Uh, we're going to find out here in just a, a minute or two how long those curtains were that, that were around it and what it represented. But the staves shall be put into the rings and the staves shall be upon the two sides of the altar to bear it. It was to be hollow. And it was, I'm sure, the, the uh, wood was encased in bronze or brass inside and out because there was a fire burning down there. Had it not been encased, it would have burned the wood out. And I was reading today in, in someone's commentary, I don't know which one it was, but uh, he talked about that it took mankind a long time to realize that you could actually encase wood in bronze or brass, and that it, it could stand extreme temperatures and never catch the wood on fire. God's smart. <laughs> he knows all these things. We, we think we're smart. We think we're learning something. God don't know. God knows it all. Any questions or comments about the, the brazen altar? Well, beginning in verse 9 through 19, we'll talk about the, the courtyard of the tabernacle. Thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle for the south side southward. There shall be hangings for the court of fine twine linen of a hundred cubits long for one side. And the twenty pillars thereof their twenty sockets shall be of brass. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise for the north side in length there shall be hangings of a hundred cubits long. And his twenty pillars and their twenty sockets of brass. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver. And for the breadth of the court on the west side shall be the hangings of fifty cubits. Their pillars ten and their sockets ten. And the breadth of the court on the east side, eastward, shall be fifty cubits. The hangings of one side of the gate shall be fifteen cubits. Their pillars three and their sockets three. And on the other side shall be hangings fifteen cubits. Their, their pillars three and their sockets three. And for the gate of the court shall be a hanging of twenty cubits of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen wrought with needlework and their pillars shall be four and their sockets four and all the pillars round about the court shall be filleted with silver their hooks shall be of silver and their sockets of brass the length of the court shall be a hundred cubits and the breadth fifty everywhere and the height five cubits of fine twine linen their sockets of brass, and all the vessels of the tabernacle, and all the service thereof, and all the pins thereof, and all the pins of the court shall be of brass. Okay. This is the outer court, the courtyard. This thing was always positioned in the same direction. 
to the west is where the Holy of Holies would be. The north and the south were always to face in the same direction. You entered it from the east. Every time they set it up, they would, they would set it up that way. That's the way God had given them the instructions. This symbolizes that there is a way of access to God, that God can be approached. Now, notice the mandate there, there in verse 9. Thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle. It's not an if, and, or can, but it's a thou shalt. When you see the word shall in the Bible, it always means it has to happen. It has to be this way. They're to make the court of the tabernacle. From the south side, there's to be hangings, curtains of linen. This is that fine twine linen. So when you come into that courtyard, down both sides, across the end, across the beginning, the entrance. When you come into that, you're going to see pure white in every direction. That symbolizes the holiness of God. And the people understood that they were coming in. Now there were other curtains on the outside of that. But what man would see when he walked in there is that pure white. We've talked about the, the, the saints' garments are made out of white linen. And this is this is uh, saying that God can be approached. The south side, there was 150 feet in length. Those linen curtains. How long was this right? Anybody know? It's probably 150 right here. Um, <laughs> 150 is quite a ways. But it's 150 feet long. It had not only those curtains, but it had uh, 20 posts that fit in 20 bronze bases. It had uh, silver hoops and bands that attached the post and that they hung the, the curtains on. The north side was to be 150 feet long. It had the same identical things as, as was on the south side. Then the west end, where the Holy of Holies was, it was 75 feet across. Half as wide as it was long, 150 feet long, 75 feet wide. On the west end, there were 10 posts, 10 bases, and of course the sockets and things that the curtains hang on. The east end, this is where the entrance was at. It, uh, it was 75 feet across it. But the curtains were made in different lengths, and different widths. At the entrance of the courtyard, it was flanked by two curtains. Each was 22 and a half feet long. How would you ladies like to bend and saw that with your fingers? There's no sewing machines in 
those days. <laughs> but think about it. They had to make this cloth out of the I don't know what they made it out of. Linen. But linen's made out of flax, isn't it? Uh, each of them were 22 and a half feet long. They were each supported by three posts set in three bases. And the entrance itself, uh, verse 16, make a curtain 30 feet long. It was to be a fine linen. It was to be decorated and embroidered in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and be attached to the four posts set in the four bases. So the entrance was kind of distinguished from the rest of it. Had that all that beautiful needlework and those kind of things in it. The posts were to be connected by silver bands and hooks. And as people would come there, and they'd walk through that opening. And the first thing they would see not only was the, the whiteness and the purity of, of that court, but they would see that bronze altar. And it would remind them that in order to come before God, their sins had to be atoned for. And that's a reminder for us today. We can't just come to God any old way. He's a holy God. He wants his people to be holy. So the courtyard was 150 feet by 75 feet. Those curtains were seven and a half feet tall. They were made out of that fine linen. They had the, the bronze bases and sports and all those things. Even the tent pegs, or the King James Version calls them the pins, they were made of bronze. Now, the lampstick, the candlestick, it's a symbol of the way that God's presence is always open. What do we see in the life of Jesus and what was Jesus called that reminds us of the lampstand or the candlestick? It's the light of the world. Isn't that wonderful? See, it's all about Jesus. It's foreshadowing Jesus. The lampstand. Thou shalt command the children of Israel. Verse 20. Thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring pure olive, all olive beaten for the light. To cause the lamp to burn always the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, which is before the testimony. Aaron and his son shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord, and it shall be a statute forever unto their generations on the behalf of the children of Israel. This lampstand is beautiful, beautiful lampstand. God made it so that man would need to do something here. 
What was man's part? Pretended to keep it lit. They had to make the oil too, didn't they? It was made from olives. And I understand that in order to make the olive oil that will burn, that you do not cook the olives. You squeeze sincere with God and uh, working for God and with God allowing Him to work in and through us that's, that's been one of the things that uh, I'll just go ahead and say that I've struggled with in this return to God study that we're doing my old flesh don't want to turn loose and do what God wants done There's a struggle that goes on. I, I don't know about you. I, I was telling Jonathan today that uh, it's something that Francis and I, the devil has just, uh, he's been after us <laughs> the last couple of weeks. And therefore, we got after each other. <laughs> and yesterday, we just had to sit down and have a good heart to heart talk and uh, ask for each other's forgiveness and apologies and all that kind of stuff because the devil don't want us getting back where God wants us to be. And he's struggling and he's fighting. And he does that. He comes after us. That's, that's the reason Paul goes to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But get off track here. But this lampstand stood right outside the inner curtain of the most holy place. It was the only light that was in that whole territory, 150 feet by 75 feet. And then the holiest of holies was on the other side of the veil from that. They would keep these lamps burning in the Lord's presence. That's a, a little bit confusing there when it talks about, uh, let's see if I can find it. Yeah, Aaron and his son shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord. Sounds to me like they had to work the night shift. Keep the lamps burning, especially at night. And he says it shall be a statue forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. I think I shared a little bit with you about when we were in the Holy Land back in 2010. But this huge candelabra that stands right out along one of the streets there in old Jerusalem. And it's in a glass thin cage. 
military men and women stand out there with their, their rifles and yarding day and night. But that's already been laid, and it's uh, our tour guide told us that everything that it will take to build the temple back, they've already got it made and in storage, and stored in various places around in Jerusalem. And I don't know if anybody knows where everything is. It's probably certain people know where certain things is. But they intend to build that temple. And that beautiful candelabra. But the sad thing about it is most of the Jewish people don't recognize that Jesus is the light of the world. This chosen people ministry one of the gentlemen from it spoke here last year right before Easter, shared with us about the Passover. And I, I sent them a donation occasionally. But what they're trying to do is share with the Jewish people how they can find Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures. And the tabernacle is one of the greatest things that shows Jesus there. And when they understand what the tabernacle was all about, and when they understand that the Word of God says in the New Testament, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, as it's in, in our English version most of the time, but the word dwell means tabernacle. Words made flesh and tabernacled among us. Came to live among us. Here in the Old Testament, God is making a way where he can come and live with his people. Live among them. They can approach him. They can be a part of his ministry. So this is a, a great significance. And notice what he said in the last verse there, verse 20. It shall be a statue forever. How long is forever? <laughs> forever. Kind of like that fellow who wants some tooth for him. Dennis tell you that sometimes. But uh, that, that shall be a statue forever unto their generations on behalf of the children. God loves his people. He still loves Israel. They're still, for the most part, in rebellion against him. But there's a little verse of scripture that's found over in Romans chapter 11. I believe it's verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. There's going to be a great turn to Jesus Christ by the Israeli people. They're going to, they've been through some unthinkable things down through their years because of their rebellion against God. But God still loves them. Jesus died for them too. Think about it. Those 3,000 that met there on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, every one of them were Jews. And they were all saved, and they became a part of the church. 
chosen people. And he won't forget us either. Any questions or comments that you'd like to make? I appreciate your attention. Uh, have a look forward to work. Where we're at next week, chapter uh, 28, I suppose. The priest garments. Okay, we'll get away from the tabernacle a little bit and talk about what the priest wore. Okay. Would you uh, find you some people to partner up with and